the Standing Orders podcast. Welcome to this latest. Hold on. Let's try that again. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. The Standing Orders podcast. Welcome to this latest edition of the Standing Orders podcast with me, Dr. Thomas Foreman, and my co-host, the Emeritus Mayor, Sue Lorne. Good afternoon, Thomas. How are you? I'm very well and far better than you by the sounds of it. So come on, before everyone complains about your breathing and your voice and probably your views and attitude, sock it to me as to what's up. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, I've got a serious sinus infection over the past couple of weeks. It's been a a while. And and then I ended up on steroids and antibiotics. So I am speaking much better than I was this time yesterday afternoon. So apologies for the husky voice. And uh, hopefully there won't be too much um, heavy breathing in the middle of it all. Well, if it is, I'll just put it down to you. Um, So (laughs) I think we have um, a lot of things to go through uh, today. And I think you wanted to start with your update on voters without ID. Um, And I think you're looking specifically at Norfolk. And I know you have a bee in your bonnet about this. So over to you. Well, no, it was just that we have discussed it on a couple of occasions, whether the uh, the ID situation on polling day was going to, to make a huge amount of difference. And I just thought that I would give you the statistics for Norfolk. So, so come on, we had talk it to us. 667 voters turned away with their ID. Only 233 did not return. Now, depending on what the results were in your area, whether you thought that that was 233 wasn't a huge amount, but I know that in some areas, in some districts, that there was uh, such a close call as uh, just one vote, especially Absolutely. in the Yarmouth area. So if that was under your um, your district, then you might be a bit aggrieved if that one person had been sent away or two people had been sent away that could have given you the majority. Yeah, in relation I, to Broadland, sorry. No, no, carry on. I'll I'll follow up. Okay. So I was just going to say in Broadland, 66 people were turned away and 48 came back. So, uh, so in, on the whole, I think that was probably pretty acceptable. Again, if, Um, as long as you weren't going to lose your seat by two or three votes, um, I, I would have expected it to be much higher. But the fact that it was 66 turned away and 48 came back, I don't think that we can really make a big issue about that no i i guess i guess on the whole actually it's not it's not too bad i mean i do think that when you say you know you'd be pretty aggrieved if you lost by one or two votes you know you you basically the the law on this is the law and so i don't really see that you could be too aggrieved by because either people qualify to vote which is they're able to present their id or they don't um, and so I don't think anyone would get too hung up. And to be honest with you, you know, uh, what's to say they were going to vote for you anyway? So I, I see what you're saying, <laughs> that it, it is going to be quite, for some, you know, quite an aggrieving thing if you lost by one vote. But I don't think it will be any more aggrieving than the fact that you actually just lost by one vote, which I think will always stick with you. Um, and that's why I would never stand to be uh, a councillor or any other elected office. But just is, because 
but you may lose by one. This is the this is the thing. It's it's not a case if if you if you'd have lost last year and you'd lost by one vote, you'd have just put that down to oh, why didn't I go knock on that door? Why didn't I get that? You know, why didn't I encourage another person to go vote? You don't know that the people that that weren't able to vote, and as you say, legally able to vote now because you legally have to have some ID. Where last year you didn't have the ID and and you were perfectly legal to do it then. So yes, I I can I can see both sides, but there was nothing to say that they were going to vote for you, and then that would have given the other ones a bigger majority. So, but but some people, again, I wasn't in that situation, but I think if it, if I had been, I would be always sitting thinking, if they'd had their ID, would they have voted for me? Would I have just got that one over the line? Let but, me help you with that. No, they wouldn't have. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Take that right back. You can put you can put your mind at ease. Um, they would have done if I'd have been that deep. So, what else is on the? I've left this almost entirely down to you, mainly because I've been busy and you've been ill. So, I thought actually you're the best person to to sort this. So, I, I assume that because you're not feeling particularly well, that this entire podcast is going to be things you're upset or aggrieved by. Is is that a, a Broadly no, 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 no. correct statement. No, it, I'm just. It's, I have concerns about oh how the political structure of this country is going. So okay. these and most of these points that we're going to talk about today are really going to be you um, giving your opinion and what the legality of the situation is, because to be honest, I'm not so sure about the legality of some of the things that's happening. But I'm sure that you will have a more um, give us more definition on the on the situation. Well, so yeah, I'm begin? I'm not 100 percent sure about that. Um, okay. But come on, let's get okay. started. So okay. so what's top of your list of things that you have concerns about? Okay, so is it politicians or is it civil servants who are running the country at this moment in time? I've been, and again, since I'm no longer a councillor and I have more time on my hands, I don't have loads of meeting reports to to read up on, I've been reading the papers. Now, I know that you shouldn't believe everything that you read in the paper. There's always two sides to every story. Yeah, the, the, there is. Can I, can I start by asking what paper you've been reading? No, I'm not going to tell you. I've read most <laughs> <Okay>. papers. <laughs> so, the, so the Daily Mail's been going well then. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's just not the mail. There's, and I have to tell you, I'll just tell you a little secret. I never buy a paper. Oh, good. And my next door neighbours, who are very elderly, started many years ago uh, recycling their newsletters through my letterbox. Oh, wonderful. So so what, what you're saying is you have some um, an older paper boy, should we say? Yes, yes. <laughs> and he does it all free of charge. So, so he puts through the uh, I... And he okay. puts through the Daily Mail. No, and... surely, surely not. With the, <laughs> with the opening you gave me, I would never have thought it might be the Daily Mail <laughs> and the Express. Oh, and sometimes <laughs> the Sun. <laughs> now I cannot believe that he actually buys the Sun. I think it's it was great. back in the seventies. Whenever Sorry. I realised that you cannot trust a single word that is in the Sun, and I didn't think that anybody other than men of a certain age. I guess he's going back that way now, would ever buy the sun. 
So no, uh, it, it is known in some parts of the country as a swear word. Um, yes. But then again, the Express and the Daily Mail are, are known similarly at times. But you know, you've got the eye in there for a bit of balance. Well, this is it. So, so, that, so I think that there is a fairly balanced one. Other than the fact that I, I don't read the Mirror. I don't know anybody who reads the Mirror anymore. No, it must be there somewhere. No, with because they're still in business at the moment, or until the end of the week, anyway. You know, there are other newspapers. <laughs> So anyway, so this is where, so a couple of weeks ago, I was reading through the Saturday. It wasn't the Sunday mail. It was the Saturday one. And uh, there was an article in there from a reporter whose name uh, sex me at the moment. And it was a case of whether the civil servants were running Westminster and were we having a typically British coup because um, of the civil servants not actually doing the jobs that they're being asked to do because they don't agree with policies. And uh, and then whenever they did decide that there was somebody who they didn't particularly like, an MP they didn't particularly like, then they would set their guns for them and do everything in their power to get them to resign. And we've seen them, we've seen it, it's happened over the past 18 months that as soon as they get one member, and I'm not saying it's civil servants, but I'm saying that as soon as one member of the, the cabinet or the government resigns, then another one comes along who, who they think is fair play. So is it a case that uh, you know civil servants don't who don't want the policies of the government of the day, are they then going out of their way to make sure that uh, whoever's setting that policy isn't going to be there to follow the policy through? Well, so, I, I think I, I'd first of all like to congratulate you to bring in a, a central government issue to a into local, a local government. government. <laughs> but I, but there is a method behind my madness. Is that as well? Because if it is the case that civil servants are now taking over, what some would say, the madhouse. So, is it going to be a case that that is then going to follow on down to local, the first tiers of government? in district and county. I can't well, see it would ever take place in parish. So does that mean does that mean um, that it needs to be to, to be fair, the fact you think it isn't already happening in town and parish councils, um, I think means that I've done my job really well. <laughs> <laughs> that you have realised the frustration that was going on all your time as a, uh, but, as a but, but this is the thing then. Does that mean that more power should be given to parish and town councils? Well, I, I think the answer to that is is yes to an extent. Like, I, I think, you know, devolution is a is a great thing that we've we've spoken about many yes. probably too many times um i i think that has to be balanced and, and it shouldn't just be what other councils don't want to do gets handed down to like town and parish councils which tends to happen it's never the most lucrative service that gets passed down it's always the one that costs a lot of money that no one wants to do that ends up being like the first one that they try and devolve but i think in in principle what you you i think generally talking about is that kind of officer on one side or civil servant on one side and politician on the other and how that relationship and how that balance goes now as you know with i think you know town parish and community councillors they're not full-time so there is only so much time that they can put into like working 
as a councillor. And so that's why, you know, they make decisions at meetings and that's why it's for the officer team um, or the officer in many cases to then take that forward. And so, you know, there is a clear divide between, you know, strategic kind of decision making as a corporate body and the person who actually then enacts it and, and sees these things through and acts on the council's behalf, the council as a whole, not individual councillors. So there is that, and, and that divide is pretty well known. As district and county, you get more and more kind of full-time councillors in terms of portfolio holders and cabinet members. Um, but again, you know, you can look at Norfolk and you can see that they've just moved from a executive leader, which basically had that kind of chief exec-esque role. They still had a head of paid service who was an officer, but they got rid of their chief executive and had that kind of leader executive. Um, and they've just reverted back to a chief executive again. So I, I think that having the, the politician on one side making strategic decisions and having the officers civil servants on the other enacting those is an important separation um, and it ensures I think healthy scrutiny and and it also helps with having clear lines of authority as well because most of the times you get issues are where people don't know generally where they stand and they don't know what their role is and so then you get overlaps where there shouldn't be overlaps. But I think if you're looking at then like the civil servants, if you're asking me, are they running the country or are the politicians uh, running the country, to be honest with you, and this sounds terrible, um, well, I'll just say it, I, I'm not overly concerned uh, with civil servants. And I'm not saying that this is happening because civil servants are obviously apolitical and civil servants do you know, a wonderful job at being apolitical and, and doing what their political masters require of them. But I wouldn't lose sleep if there were civil servants that were stopping specific policies that they morally felt were abhorrent, that they felt were borderline or completely illegal, and whether taking the round in terms of their whole experience as to what the country and where the country is going um, if there were politicians coming in for periods of, uh, in some cases, 45 days, who were wrecking that, I think you need the continuity of a civil service with experience, and that they temper those decisions and enact them in a way that doesn't necessarily frustrate, but I think certainly perhaps tries to deliver the key points, but in a way that is as least damaging as possible. But then that goes on to the point. So is it is it is it no longer acceptable to say that an officer or a civil servant should be apolitical? Because if you're not apolitical, the job that you're being paid to do, especially as a civil servant, um, and it goes against the, the, the grain for what whatever you know you believe in, you you if a if it should be that if an MP or a minister tells you that you need to go, you know, we, this is what we want to do. Your job is now to do what we're asking you to do. If they don't do that, does then that mean that they're not doing it because of their political views or their political values? Does that is that acceptable to say? No, I that? you see. I, I don't think, and I'm going to cut you off only because you sound so poorly. No, no, um, no. And you generally do sound you poorly. You said I sounded fine. But, 
Yeah, well, I was lying. Um, <laughs> so you just want me to stop I'd, talking? I'd say anything. Okay, to, I'll ask you the question I'd, and then I'd, I'll say any, back. I'd, I'd say anything to make sure you did this podcast. <laughs> yeah, you sound fine. You sound fine. <laughs> I said, no, I can't do it because I sound so awful. No, you're absolutely fine. <laughs> so I will ask you the question and then you can then answer. And I'll sit here and wait. Oh, sorry. Is, is, yes, I so we, I was saying, is, is, so I, is it a case that's no longer acceptable that we expect our officers or civil servants to be apolitical? Okay. Um, this is really difficult being one-sided because you don't want to speak so much. Um, I think generally it's not about being political. Um, I think civil servants are apolitical in the same way as local government officers are apolitical. doesn't mean we don't have beliefs and ideas. Um, it just means that we are apolitical in the sense that we leave them at the door. Um, and so when we're in work and, and equally out of work, you know, we don't do things like canvassing. We don't get actively involved in politics. And it's the same with civil servants. But what I would say is I think civil servants, um, when they uh, do things which are out of, I would say, um, they do things in line with what they think is moral and legal. I don't think moral and legal is a political stance because I think, you know, generally you would hope that all politicians of every political uh, persuasion would say that being legal and moral are important no matter what. And the, you know, principles of public life, reinforce the fact that being moral and legal are important. Now, if you feel that people aren't being moral and legal in their decision-making, it is for civil servants, it's for officers to advise. Obviously, politicians decide, but how that is then enacted is often down to individual civil servants or individual officers to actually enact it in a way that is as least damaging or as successful as it can possibly be. So I don't think it's a matter of them not being kind of apolitical. I think they're perfectly apolitical. I think that if you want people who will, no matter what, just follow without any concern about damage a decision, then, you know, we all know that there are ways of doing things that will cause the least disruption, the least issue, um, and the least ill will. And I would hope that everyone would act in the public interest to ensure that it's not going to be damaging when you're enacting a decision. Um, so I, d I don't see it as a matter of politics. I see it as a matter of just being a good person, I okay. guess. So let's just move on to my second point. So whilst I was reading in another one of the papers that there was... Which paper um, was this? I can't remember, uh, that uh, there was a chance so that civil sun. servants could go on strike because they weren't happy with, the, and whether it's whatever political view we have on this is what the government are putting forward. And this is just an example of what I'm saying about uh, civil servants. Is it acceptable that they could go on strike? You know, should they be allowed to go on strike? And the reason why they're saying that their union is saying that they should be able to go on strike is because of the um, the refugee policy that they're putting in place. And they're saying that this is too stressful for the uh, the civil servants to have to deal with sending refugees uh, to Rwanda. So 
you see, it's, there's there's a part of me that wishes we were doing guess which paper this came from. And then I would say something like the Express and then you would tell me whether I was right or I was wrong. So I, I, I honestly don't know which one it was. But this is, so this is the thing. So, then, so that takes it to the case where, okay, you know, is, is it, if it was something that uh, that a civil servant or an officer felt too stressed, it was causing them too much stress. And, you know, it can happen in, in, in the first tier of government as well. That if there's if a, an officer has been asked to do something that they don't particularly agree with, or there is something that they would find, uh, you know, that that just isn't in in what they they would feel, even if it's just something with the allotments or something, you know, if they felt that this was too stressful for them, suppose you know you say that you you've got to give the uh, allotment holder who hasn't uh, you know kept the allotment tidy or something like that but they know that's going to cause a lot of stress. It's going to cause a lot of aggravation. So they could turn around and say, well, no, I don't feel that I could do that. Is that uh, a situation where you think that it's acceptable for an officer or a civil servant to back away from what they're being told to do um, to then not carry out what the uh, councillor or the minister is telling them to do? Okay. Um, I mean, first of all, if a councillor tells me to do something, um, it, it would need way. to be uh, it would need to be the corporate body rather than the individual. Um, so you know, follow council decisions, but you know, not necessarily having individual councillors coming and and you know dictating. Um, it is different with obviously ministers, um, but in the same way, you would expect them to work to you know the, the secretary. Um, like in their department, so the senior civil servant, and then the senior civil servant manages the civil service. So in in many ways, I guess it is a bit similar. But you, you know, it's it, it's not an important distinction. Uh, I I think I see what you're saying. Um, I think they're slightly different things. So I I think in terms of local government, if you don't want to kick someone off the allotment because it's going to be a headache to do i think you always have to make a decision as to how you enact the decision um so if you have for instance you know you have to cultivate a certain percentage of your plot or something like that and you know this person hasn't done it are there reasons for it uh, is there any mitigations that you need to take into account is there further time that can be given is there some assistance to get it back to a workable condition that can be offered you know you you can facilitate a turnaround unless it is just this person just isn't engaging at all. And I think once you've exhausted some of those options, and I'm not saying that you'll necessarily go through like all of them or any of them potentially, then, you know, you'll do it, but you'll do it knowing that anything that comes subsequent, you can say, well, I've made my best endeavours to try and ensure that this like didn't get to this point. And it's almost the allotment holder's decision itself that, um, you know, that tendency then ends. But in short, do I think that there will be an kind of, you know, someone who will put off doing it? Undoubtedly, there will be. And if that becomes a significant problem, then that's a capability issue. But I think in terms of if you're talking about the the kind of the wider policy of what civil servants are being asked to do and something as extreme as deportations. Um, I don't really want to take a kind of a political view as to whether I think, you know, that policy is is right and proper and legal um, because no, that's no, not no, really not the policy. kind of 
Yeah. Yeah, but I I think that the principle of, you know, do civil servants deserve to work in an environment where they feel that their mental health is being looked after? Yes, they do. And so I think anything that is going to significantly impact on the mental health of employees, the employer has a responsibility to ensure that they minimize that or they take actions to prevent it from occurring. And if there isn't adequate support for the well-being of staff to be able to facilitate their duties, then I think it's perfectly reasonable for people to go on strike. Because I think we are increasingly, as a country, both happy to make significant decisions, but it's almost faceless in the way that you expect them to be implemented. Whereas it is going to be extremely distressing for everyone involved in this and i think that recognizing that very human impact on both sides is needed so yeah and i think that's that's the point is that sometimes people don't people residents as well don't always realize that the person that's working as an officer or civil servant is human and that you know the fact that they could be in that situation where they're they're being asked to do something that is you know it could be and again you know whenever you read up on on what the circumstances are you know it could be a pretty horrendous situation but somebody's made a decision this has got to happen so so you have to go with it so this is what, uh, the other question is is that we're we're just not we're not seeing that that officer or that civil servant is a human being with children and family and you know personal issues as well so so sometimes it is. Uh, are, are we just ask expecting too much these days uh, from yes. the people that were put it into local government <laughs> to have to follow through? Well, and for sometimes the rudeness that comes along with it. You know that there is, and, and I think this is something we can come on to uh, next week. Um, more about how that kind of how that happens and and what kind of support is, is useful. Um, but I think more generally that the, the principle is I think there is a great deal of expectation on people. I think that the anonymity um, that goes along with things like social media is really damaging. Um, I think that uh, the attitude towards local authorities in terms of seeing them as being faceless when often they have, um, you know, a handful of officers or less, sometimes one officer, yeah. and it's a really isolating um, experience to be a single officer in an authority where you are by and large left to it to answer and to kind of face up to um, the impact of decisions that are being made um, by others who are elsewhere which is the, the the kind of very nature if you like of of local government so I think you know it's a difficult one but I, I basically I, I just think that social media is I would say significantly to blame for this. And I think people are far better if they're emailing someone, for instance, with their name and their email address, they are often far more polite. They're far more understanding that they're speaking to a human. When you use generic email addresses, you do get a very different response, but often you respond with a generic email address because you don't want, you know, individuals names being plastered across social media. Yeah. That, that that yeah that's the that's the other issue and it is it is a case that, as you say is not just uh you know to the the but we i think we discussed this a couple of weeks ago where that if you're in a 
district upwards, you don't necessarily have to deal with uh the members of the public face to face. So, or, or even on those, you know, the emails coming personally to them because it will obviously pass yeah, on to somebody it, else. So, it's a very different experience when you have, you know, hundreds of people or thousands of people working in authority with you. The, the impact is a lot less yeah. than when it's just you or when there are five of you or when there are 10 of you, like it is a very different experience. And I always think, you know, in many ways, the role of the of the clerk specifically is a really lonely one because you you often are the buffer between you know an officer court on one side and the members on the other and you hold confidences of both um and and that means actually you know it's difficult for you to take anyone into your confidence because there are things that you just can't talk about without betraying one or both of those kind of groups and so you you keep it to yourself and it is a very isolating experience um but that's the job you know and and to the most part it isn't nearly as like traumatic and and difficult and stressful as that it is just sometimes it is and it's about being resilient yeah and i think that i think it is so important that we and especially when we've just had these these new elections, and there are you know councillors out there that uh, that don't know what what the role really is. Um, I, I know that Nalk will do the training courses, but I just think it's so important that it other that, um other other training providers other training are available are available. Uh, but it, but it is so important that new councillors realise the that the officers that they're dealing with are human beings that have feelings and should be given respect. You you should never have anybody you know, it, who's it on the It breaks my heart Sorry? to hear you say that. One, for me to talk over you, but two, it breaks my heart for you to say that while well, you are sounding so sad. It, it seems like you started off really positively and now it's kind of come down to I feel like I'm dragging you through and putting you through something. Don't I'm, I? I said I'm. I'm absolutely fine. I'm just the same. I'm, I'm. I feel exactly the same. It's just how I sound. So it's. It's not. So you don't have to give me sympathy. I did get out of my deathbed. I wasn't. I was actually just bending a bit of frustration, but I'm not coming out of it. Yeah. So I might be getting worse as I go along, maybe. But anyway, so so I was just going to say it's really important that. Um, new councillors, members realise that they haven't got a God-given right, especially if, if they're new people that have just come onto a council, they haven't got a good God-given right to, to go to the officer and say, I want you to do this. I expect you to do this. Um, and, and I'm really pleased that you said at the beginning of it all that um, whenever I, I said to you about whether uh, a minister or a councillor comes and says, I want you to do this, it should be a council as a, as a whole. If any councillor or any member wants something to happen, it has to go through the council, town or parish. It has to go through them for then the council as a majority to decide what way is the way forward. It's not up to any one particular council, councillor to, you know, to I mean, decide. And you've, you've only just realised that now. I know. You're really <laughs> pleased I'm saying this to you now. I wouldn't be saying it to it before. <laughs> Okay, right. and, okay, and time's getting so on. The last thing on your list. Anything? 
Yes. Sorry, I thought you I thought you were going to read my mind. But just before <laughs> just be just quickly before we, we finish on to the third one. So um is it legal for civil servants to strike? I know that the police can't do it, can they? But Yeah, to the most part, yes it is. Um it is. There, there are certain exceptions like like you say with, with the police, um and I think with the armed forces, etc. But on on the most part, if you're meaning and and I suppose you're specifically saying like home office workers. It's not my area to know the individual job titles. I I suppose yeah, see, I just border force definitely. Well, I think border force definitely can because that's why oh, the yes, army did, took over they? in the airport. Yeah. So border force can, um, but I don't know. Bring the army what in. Border oh, force. Oh yes, I suppose would they then do that with civil servants as well? Will they bring the army in then to to cover those? No, the army aren't that good at detail, aren't they? okay moving on so the next one is uh and this has taken it back to local i I, it was just i read and this could be an interesting conversation and so taking it back to local so does a parish council have to be called a parish council or should it be called a community council so the reason why i say this is town and parish councils are supposed to be non-political and we know that the the town council that I've just left was all had been for twenty years a conservative council, and nobody ever thought of it being political. Everything was for the best of the community, contrary to uh-huh. what some of the residents were thinking. But now, um, is it a case that it should be able to change its status to a community council because of how? society is these days if it's a community council does it then definitely say this isn't political but i don't no, know I, how i, I know as a tap we we were a parish council and it then changed to a town council many years ago and i thought that you had to have a certain population before you could turn yourself into a town council but i don't think that you did i think it no. was up to the councillors to decide so if somebody is uh, now saying, okay, let's not have a town or a parish, let's say it's a community council so that it's not political, is that a possibility? Um, first of all, I'll, I'll kind of, again, unpack it slightly. So I'm not sure whether a community council sounds less political than a town or parish. Um, I think it sounds pretty much similar because it has council in it. and and by its very nature if people can stand for political parties whether or not you know that's the way it gets run you know people people stand it's often a political vote um but the short answer is yeah you can call yourself a community council in the same way as the council can pass a revolution at a resolution can pass revolution. a revolution, I guess. Um, it can pass a resolution to go from parish to town. It can go to, I think, neighbourhood. It can go to community. It can go really? to village. Yeah, it's all, it's the Local Government Act 1972, as most things are. And I think it's uh, 12A and, and 17A, which allows you to change the alternatives. And so it's then you just need to notify like the Electoral Commission, the District Council and a room of other people that you've made the change. Wow. And you can revert back then to parish. Um, so, so you can then revert back to being a parish and a town can revert back to being a parish um, if it wants to. But it's not automatic. You don't need to. It's not like the general power of competence where you have to pass a resolution each year. Um, you would have to change like change it 
by resolution again to reverse it. But otherwise, yeah, you, you can change it to whatever title, well, whichever title within, I think, 17A um, that you want. So I think Village... Yeah, so could could you say thoughts that Andrew Community Council? Well, you, you can say it. Yeah, absolutely. And you <laughs> can pass a resolution no, for because it. I, I, did it. I just didn't it. think, I, I just thought that community, I'm surprised that you say that you think community is just as political. I thought. I that, think any time you've got council in it is, I mean, in Wales, you find more town and community councils. So you, you find a lot more community councils in, in Wales. Um, but in England, you can have, you know, you, you can have like the alternative style, which is, is what it's deemed, I think. Excellent. Wow. Every day's a school day. And, and they could just change it. So they, they it would change on a four-year basis because I'm sure that if some council... Like, council... No, it wouldn't, it wouldn't change back automatically. So you don't need continuing re- resolutions no, but every if, four years. Yeah, So, but if somebody came along in four years' time and said, community, we don't want community, we're a town, so turn it back to town council, then uh, that would be acceptable. And it Absolutely. is literally just the councillors who decide which way they're going to go. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it it normally helps, like, you should generally consult and and go through, like, a process of consultation with the community before then making such a significant change, like the name of the council. Um, But yeah, absolutely, it is just a kind of process and then a notification process to the various bodies. So I would always say, you know, speak to the monitoring officer first, to be fair, I think we're, we're very fortunate. We have a, a great monitoring officer um, that covers two councils in in Norfolk. Um, some of them w- would just be happy with, you know, the notification of, by the way, just in the future, this is what we're going to do. I always find just giving the heads up to a monitoring officer is always really useful um, because they appreciate it. So they can then field off if there are any kind of discussions or any questions. They've already briefed themselves. Um, you know, I equally think you can... Uh, sorry, I think I just had a connection loss. So if if you're, for instance, like a grouped um, set of councils, um, then I think you can change the alternative style to be group of councils or, or group of communities or, or group of villages. Um, so there are ways of doing it oh, if yes, you're course, grouped yeah. as opposed to if you're not grouped. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, my, my final thought on it would be, I think, you know, having town councils, parish councils, community councils, grouping for the sake of both staff and of services as we go forward and as technology allows us to work smarter will generate huge amounts of savings um, to the public purse. It just needs people to be a little bit more um, full of foresight really as to what's going to be good on the horizon. Um, But at the moment, I, I suspect straight after the election, more people are going to be thinking, how is this council going to bed in successfully? I'm lucky I don't need to think uh, about that because everything goes swimmingly. Um, swimmingly. But there we are. Excellent. And then just on that note as well about um, the, the the chair of the councils, it's entirely mm-hmm. up to the councils uh, whether they elect a chair, a chairperson, chairwoman, a or a mayor. So you tend to have a chairman of... Um, parish parish or or community councils but could they they could change it to mayor if they wanted to could they Um, I've never known it I don't think I think you need to be a town council to have a town yes but we're putting it out there now we're giving them the option 
You know, if if they thought, what? oh, I could be a, a mayor a of a parish mayor. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think it works. Well, it and if just... it does, it shouldn't. <laughs> Here I am trying to think big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it strange that you're thinking big is what title can I get? Isn't that... <laughs> Here I am thinking big. I, I think that there's some. <laughs> there's a little village council somewhere that's waiting to co opt somebody. So uh, maybe I could co-opt and become a mayor. Of, uh, they get to know you a lot quicker, um, which is always a bit of a problem. Um, <laughs> so then you'd have to determine how big the chain was going to be. <laughs> so sorry, I digress. So that, that was just that was just my thinking. So really, my idea of uh, saying about any council can pick a chairman or a mayor isn't actually fact. It's only if you're a town that you could make a town mayor. Thank you for listening to the Standing Orders podcast by Politis. Please like and subscribe to get your weekly edition. You can suggest topics by emailing podcast at politisconsulting.co.uk. See you next week.